Welcome to The Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, true, and beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. Now, speaking of interesting people, this is episode four, where we are interviewing an interesting person, Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen, welcome. Hello. Thanks Hello. For having me. You know, this is so great. We have Karen here on Zoom, which is taking over the world. Yeah. It's the unofficial sponsor of the coronavirus. Yeah. Yes, we I I I went from not knowing how to do a Zoom to I do I have so many Zooms. So many Zooms. Every day, every week I have Zooms. We yeah. just, you know, we just finished a Zoom before the Zoom. <laughs> but that's enough. You know, this is not sponsored by Zoom. We don't do sponsorships. So uh, we are here. We're so glad, Karen, that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about your life. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, what, what what brought you to where you are now. And uh, But before we do that, how is life on lockdown? This goes out to either of you guys. I got Michael here in the studio as my co-host. What's up, guys? And Karen joining us from her Beautiful home. What is that? Mahogany behind you? Paneling? Oak. Oak. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, would, I would guess oak. I just... And she has many leather-bound books. Yeah. Yeah. So how's life for you guys on lockdown? How are things going at the World House? Not much has changed. Uh, still, still trying to uh, keep busy and uh, find fun and interesting things to do. So... Lately, um, yeah, lately Emily and I have been uh, still doing yard stuff. So, so really not much has changed from last week. I got out, got out in the yard and uh, moved rocks around, set up a nice uh, little little uh, frame for one of our, our garden beds. But, yeah. And uh, how is your daughter? Lila is great. She is so close to walking. She will, she can, she can stand up on her own and, and balance fine. And if we like entice her, she'll take a step or two, but she just, she doesn't, she doesn't want, she doesn't want, she doesn't want it yet. So, but she's really, really close, which Mm. is super fun. Lila is wonderful. How old is she? She's right at one. Yeah. She's, she's 13 months. So. Good, good. And uh, Karen, how is life on lockdown for you? Well, a lot of it's not very different because so much of my work I do from home and we live out in the country. And so I'm still like doing what I normally do. Um, Transitioning to teaching online um, was definitely a challenge. And now I've kind of figured it out. And so I'm, I'm going with that. But that was that was stressful and time consuming. But now I'm settling into the new rhythm. And you only um, have to do the online and, teaching until May 1st, because Trump has unilaterally decided that we're back then. Is that right? You guys? Are- oh, well, our classes end before then. Anyway, ah, so okay. we're, we're finishing up. Um, so it's a it's a sad way to end the semester for my students and a sad way for me to uh, finish my last year of teaching at Liberty. Mm. So, you know, it's you teach yeah. you teach a fair amount of seniors. Is this their last? Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's so yeah. sad. That is sad. That is sad. Now you recently wrote an article about the Tiger King, and we we were talking about the Tiger King last week here on the Hammer and Quill, and uh, we'd love to know. Now, full disclosure, 
I actually haven't read the article yet. I, I was supposed to. Michael told me to. Okay, you read the headline, right? I, well, that, which is how I read most of my articles. <laughs> so <laughs> I do feel qualified to talk about it because I read the headline. <laughs> but uh, why don't you fill us in a little bit on, uh, we were talking a little bit about about the Tiger King. I actually mentioned to Michael last week that I, I made it about two thirds of the way through the first episode. And then I just, I stopped. <laughs> and, um, uh, so is that okay? <laughs> no, tell us a little bit about your article on the Tiger King. Yeah, and Michael, well, feel free to engage since you did read it. Oh, totally. Okay. But no, you haven't watched it though. I have not watched the show, it's, but I did read your article. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, you know, I, I originally, my, I only watched it because my editor asked if I would write about it. And the reason he asked if I would write about it is because I, he knows that I have a long-term interest and concern about animal welfare. Mm. Um, I hadn't even heard of it when he asked me to watch it and write about it. And um, so I went into it kind of thinking, oh, this is about animal welfare and roadside zoos and keeping exotic animals as pets, an issue I uh, have a lot of opinions about. And I didn't really even realize until I, you know, put it on Netflix that it's actually like a crime, you know, real crime documentary. Um, yeah. And so I got pulled in and uh, <laughs> yeah, I watched the whole thing. Um, and again, because I was assigned to write it, but on it, but um, it is aside from the content, which, you know, that, that's complicated. It's a very well-crafted documentary. It's mm. really, really well done. Um, and the the issue, it, it, of course, it turns out to be not just about animal welfare, although that's at the at the center of it. Um, but I think the issue I wanted to write about and did write about, you know, <laughs> which you can read about. <laughs> I do know you did. You wrote about it. Is uh, is kind of where that line is between entertainment, education, and exploitation, right? Because this hmm. show has all three. It is educational about the roadside zoos and keeping tigers and lions and pets and breeding them in captivity just so that people can hold the cubs and they can be petted. Um, it's also an entertaining show. Anything on Netflix, even documentaries have an entertaining element. But then there's this line that can get crossed over where it's exploitation. I mean, of course, the tigers and lions are exploited by these zoos. But also the people in this documentary, we could say, are being exploited by being turned into entertainment for us. They're, um, they're, and they're kind of their see, own their own roadside zoo for us to watch. They are. Yeah. They are. And you can see how people are responding to the show with the memes and the mockery and the making fun. Right. And, you know, to me, that just that I understand I was entertained, but it's really ultimately heartbreaking. It's mm. heartbreaking because these people are real human beings and they are not as freakish as people say uh, in the sense that there are many, many people around us who are abusers or have been abused, who are polyamorous, who are scoundrels, who are cheats, who are criminals. Um, they are all around us. Maybe some of us listening are them. Um, and, and, and we have to love such people, such neighbors as ourselves. So, mm. You know what? That's kind of I'm going to go read it. Okay. So it's really good. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it is. So what would you, what would you say to someone who's, who's watched the documentary and, and maybe uh, came out the other side thinking, man, 
I didn't get anything substantive out of that. I didn't get anything redemptive out of that. Uh, what would you say to kind of help that person maybe see, uh, see the show that they just watched, uh, with, with a little bit of a, um, yeah, advice about here's maybe the lens they could look through or here's what they could take away, um, in, in terms of, you know, what, what your article was about of, in terms of loving and, and considering and caring about, uh, their, their neighbors, uh, they're Tiger King neighbors, you know, uh, what, right, what right. would you say to, to someone who, who maybe has watched the documentary? I mean, again, I would say that, you know, as bizarre as these people are, um, because the, the documentary just kind of highlights that they aren't as, I mean, we are surrounded by neighbors whose oddities are maybe not as evident, but they're, they're, these people are more real perhaps than, than we might, they might seem on television. And um, a couple of things that didn't come up in the documentary that one thing I mentioned in the article is that Joe Exotic was repeatedly raped as a small child in his own home. Hmm. The documentary didn't mention that, you know, so, so he's sort of the one that we, you know, who's the villain or the hero, depending on how you see it. But he, you know, this is a very broken person, but you didn't really have to know that about him to see that in the show. There's just brokenness everywhere. Um, and the brokenness in the show, I think should, could, and should make us more aware of the brokenness that's around us in our own real lives. Um, mm. and it is everywhere. Yeah. And, and maybe what, uh, you know, what kind of piece of, of hope or, uh, or, or, or redemption would you, uh, kind of hold out to someone who's watched the show? You know, maybe if, if they're getting to the end and going, gosh, this, there's just so much wrong and so much broken and this feels kind of dark and, and, and depressing. And, uh, if, if that's the place that they end up, what, what would you want to kind of hold out, uh, to that person to say, um, yes, there is brokenness. Yes, there is, uh, you know, hurt and, and pain and, and even cycles of hurt and pain. Um, but you know, let's, let's look at this together. Well, it, you know, without, again, without, you know, if someone hasn't watched to the end, I hope this isn't much of a spoiler, but it is a, a true crime documentary and, and, and Joe Exotic does end up in, in prison, uh, which is where he is today. And there's definitely some poetic justice in, in some of the things he says as, as some irony in that, you know, he's, his life is centered on, on, you know, these creatures in cages and now he's in a cage and mm. he's imprisoned. And so he sees that. He, there's a moment of recognition for him. Hmm. And of course there isn't like a Jesus moment at the end of the sure. documentary, but the, the narrative arc of the whole thing is about, you know, it does point towards re the redemption that can come only through recognition hmm. of our fallenness and brokenness. Um, and there, there was a new follow-up uh, episode that was added on. It's just sort of an informal interview with the characters. And so it kind of fills in some of the rest of the story. Um, and, but it doesn't really end up in a neat right. bow. Right. Um, and I think that's something Christians need to grapple with more. We, we tend to like our neat bows. At right. The end. <laughs> right. Mm. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and, and Karen, the part of what, what Michael's doing here and, and, and our listeners, uh, is Michael, and you're 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 highlighting what this podcast is all about, right? Mm -hmm. So, so as you know, Karen, what we're doing here with the Hammer and Quill is we are we're really trying to 
Um, follow Philippians 4, 8, which says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And uh, and really what we're trying to do is say, hey, uh, when we bring folks like like Karen on the podcast, we want to uh, we want to both in their own lives and then help have them help us. Have you help us uh, think about these things? Think about the 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 good, the true, and the beautiful. Uh, think about um, how we can recognize that and and uh, and treasure that and think on that and um, and so even in even in the Tiger King, how can we do that? You know, we we try also here to do. There's so much in the world around us that's kind of uh, malformative, and we want we want this to be formative. We want to help. Uh, you know, as we look out into the world, how, how do we stop and look at the lives, vocations, uh, media, and and uh, and see what's good there? See what's what's beautiful and. Uh, and what what we're doing with the hammer and the quill and and really even the I, this is a Bonhoeffer house podcast the the hammer the house and the quill for us represents uh, it represents study and work and friendship and so we're, we really dive into those particular areas how how does um, so we'll, we'll be doing that with uh, with you today Karen uh, we'll we'll dive into your work your study your relationships and uh, and how they all play out so let's dive in. Let's dive in here. Oh, we've got some dogs on the screen here. Now, uh, remind me. Okay, it's Ruby and, and, Eva. and Eva. And how? which one is which? Uh, this is the closest one to me is Eva and the other one is Ruby. Okay. And they're... they're <laughs> they, they really don't like it when I do podcasts. Um, like sometimes Eva will go upstairs and find something of mine and chew it. I don't know what it looks like. They, you know, we call it... We call it me you know talking to people who aren't here ah uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man well that's wonderful well we wanted to have karen on because karen you have served us in the bonhoeffer house really quite a bit in the last few years yeah um pro- oh, first i would say it first happened we picked up your book on reading well and uh we we even included it as required reading in one of our bonhoeffer house classes uh and in that book you put to words um uh, really a lot of what we were already doing and, uh, and, and helped us. So, so one of the things that we, we do with the Bonhoeffer house is we have our guys, um, we have our guys reading, uh, fiction, which is not maybe a normal part of a pastoral training, uh, program. Right. Uh, but we're, we're, although we're, it should be, thank you. Yes, we agree. You're right. We agree. Yeah. And so <laughs> we're and so, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're the good guys. It's, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and partly in ways to, um, cultivate, uh, reading skills, but, but also partly in ways of cultivating virtue. Uh, and you've graciously given your time to us in the past. We, we traveled up to you for a seminar. Uh, you've spoken at our virtue conference last fall. You're a friend of the house. And, uh, when, when we started this podcast, which was not very long ago, yeah, uh, you came to mind right away. If we could get we could get the notorious KSP on our, you know, by the way, I have you in my phone as KSP. And so every time I go to look up Karen, there's no one there. Yeah. And I have to remember, okay, it's KSP. Well, Karen, welcome again. Hey, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? One of the questions we ask our guests is what would be on the back of your baseball card? So I'm, I don't know if you collected baseball cards growing up, uh, but you know, uh, 
you know, it's probably more appropriate to say what's on the dust jacket of right. your of your newest book. But ah, um, okay. But we're gonna keep the baseball card theme. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. Uh, well, I guess you know. Actually, I have this on my website, and I think on my Twitter profile, and it's it's uh, captures it well. I consider myself to be a reader, a writer, and a professor. Um, so those are kind of you know my uh, vocational. Um, you know, uh, accomplishments. Uh, I am a professor of English at Liberty University, uh, and I have been there for 21 years. Um, I'm also just a lifelong reader. I love books, and um, my writing comes from both my teaching and from my life of reading. And I'm also a wife and uh, apparently a dog mom. <laughs> and <laughs> We're climbing in again. We live uh, in, you know, right in central Virginia, which is really God's country. You know that we can see the (laughs) mountains around us. Um, We live in an old farmhouse built in 1912 that has been a, you know, a a two decades long project. Um, My husband is a public school teacher, so they've actually been um, out of school longer than just about any anyone's been out of work with the Mm. with the kind of lockdown. And so he just immediately started tearing out the front foyer and uh, we're in the middle of, <laughs> of a remodeling project right now. So that's what's keeping him busy. That's great. And you can, we, we've, we've been privileged. Uh, if you follow Karen on Instagram, do, I don't know if you've done this in other places, but you've given a few tours of your, uh, of your personal library and writing area. So we've, we've been, we've been able to see a little bit of the house. Um, and so, yeah. Okay, great. So you're central Virginia. We know you live in a beautiful place because of your, uh, daily run pictures that you post as well mm-hmm. that always look like, how did you find that? But they're beautiful. So, uh, Hey, tell us a little bit more about your voc- vocation. So you, uh, you mentioned you're a reader, a writer and a professor. Uh, how, how did you know that God wanted you to give your life to that? Mm-hmm. Well, the reading, as I said, came early. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up being read to and then being a reader. And I never, um, never really planned to be a writer or a professor. Um, in fact, when I was growing up, uh, I, I wanted to do a number of things. I had you know, different career aspirations. I always wanted to go to college and, and have a career. But the two things I swore I would never do was to be either a nurse or a teacher. <laughs> I still never want to be a nurse. And I did not discover that I was created to teach until I was in my PhD program. Mm. Um, I just, you know, I majored in English as an undergrad, went right into a doctoral program, didn't know what I was going to do, kind of knew the things I didn't want to do. And then, you know, got a graduate assistantship and began teaching through that just because that's what you do. And that first semester of writing or teaching composition 101 to night school students, um, that was uh, where I w- what I was teaching older adults. Uh, I just, I fell in love with teaching. Um, and um, that's, that's what I know that I was created to do. And so I finished my PhD program, took a long time as it often does, um, and uh, went out on the job market and got my job at Liberty University, and that was 21 years ago. Wow. Wow. And that was upstate New York. Is that right? 
Are you are you from New Buffalo, England? New York, yes. Buffalo, okay. And is that where you're from? Western New York. Okay. Okay. And is that where you're from? I'm originally from Maine. Maine, um, I thought so. Yeah. But uh, my family moved to Buffalo when I was in high school. And so that's just kind of where I settled, went to school, got married and uh, lived until moving here to God's country. <laughs> okay. And how did you, in, so you, you ended up at Liberty 21 years ago. And is that just simply because they had a job opening and, and you took it? Or how did you end up at Liberty? <laughs> so uh, like sometimes I would look at you in the past few years and think, how, how is she at Liberty? How does that work? How did that happen? How did that happen? And how did, how did it work? Uh, but no, I, that's a, uh, it, it's funny. I, I, I will, when I went there, my friends were like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a good question. So, so, you know, I grew up in a Christian, yeah, we have to go back. I was born. No, um, <laughs> I, I grew up in a Christian home and received Christ as, at a very young age. Um, but my faith really didn't become active and alive in me until really my, PhD program, I would say that's mm. kind of another mm. story. Um, so in that time, I was also became uh, introduced to Christian education. I, I never was went to a Christian school myself, but I got a job as a teacher in a Christian school while I was finishing my PhD and so forth. So by the time I finished, I was a strong, committed Christian in the kind of cultural warrior sense, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, sure you know, from the eighties and, you know, that we know that whole, uh, uh, my, my pastor, our pastor had, uh, um, graduated from Liberty university okay. and, you know, years before. And anyway, I, when I went onto the job market, I really thought I would end up at a secular university, like a state university. I thought that I would be the token Christian mm. in among the pagans and liberals. That's where I was actually most comfortable and where I've always been most comfortable. Um, but so I applied to, you know, state schools, secular schools, and to a couple of Christian schools, and Liberty was one of them. And it was just, uh, you know, the job market then was was bad uh, for PhDs in English or any of the humanities. Um, it hasn't gotten much better, but that was also um, a particularly bad um, time. And so there weren't a lot of jobs. In fact, I was the only Christian in my pro my PhD program, and I was one of the only ones to get a job, which mm -hmm. is really. Um, and so, uh, I was familiar with Liberty, um, and, uh, didn't see myself at a Christian school, but was open to it and applied there. And that's where I ended up. And you've loved it. Or I have like, loved it. Great. Good. Good. So talk about Liberty has, Liberty has made me who I am today. Hmm. Really. Good, good. Yes. Uh, t talk about how you, you're, you're beginning a, you've got an upcoming transition, Yes. Uh, away from Liberty and to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which we happen to think it's a pretty good school. That's where both Michael and I got our degrees. Shout out to Sebitz. And it's it's who we partner with with the Bonhoeffer House. So we're particularly excited about this transition for you. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? How did it happen uh, that you are moving to or, 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 or uh, changing your employment from Liberty to Southeastern? Did Danny Aiken just personally call you? <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Not quite. Uh, but it's definitely, 
a God thing. Um, and you know, I, I thought I would be a lifer at Liberty. I thought I would never leave. I never really wanted to leave. Um, but God just has a way of kind of orchestrating things. And I'm not someone, you know, I hate change. I'm, I'm just like, I just, you know, so (laughs) I was not really looking for a change, but, um, a couple of years ago, you know, in, in the past few years, my, you know, my writing and speaking opportunities have flourished and those are not something that I've really sought. I really believe they're from the Lord. And all I've done is really try to be a very faithful steward and do good work. Um, and these doors keep opening. And yet, so I have this, you know, this heavy teaching load at Liberty, um, teaching classes. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they offer release time. I had some for a while, but then that changed. And so I was just really trying to do everything. And so I went before the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. I can't keep doing everything. Um, and it seems like these other opportunities are coming from you to speak and write. And I just, and so I just spent about a year sensing that something was going to change. I didn't know what I, of course, in the meantime, I'm, you know, I was getting a lot of calls from different schools, um, with possible positions and none of them appealed to me. Um, and was that a normal thing? Was that, were you getting a lot of calls throughout your career or is that just recently? In the past few years. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, but often they're for administrative posts and I had, I have, I did serve as, as a department chair for a while. And, um, and I just know that I love teaching. I don't like Mm. administration. Um, even though I'm, I'm decent at it, I just, I don't like it. Um, I love I love that we're hearing your chimes on your uh, on your I'm computer. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's I wonderful. don't know how to turn them off. It's okay. I think I I kind of <laughs> like it. It's a nice little like, yeah, like keeps you on your toes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So uh, things started to fall uh, into place. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I um, I, I was approached by by another administrator at, at Southeastern um, just about a year ago, um, and. Uh, was told that uh, he was coming up to take me to lunch <laughs> and talk about opportunities. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, so it just, it, it just went from there. It was a, you know, few months, a few months of, of talking um, and weighing before the Lord. It, it's a big change for us. It would be a big change if we moved, which we've worked it out that we don't have to yet. I mean, my husband has a job that, you know, that he can retire from in a few years, but not yet. Mm. Uh, my elderly parents live here with us. We've built a, a, a home and uh, feel rooted in the community here. And, uh, it just, it just worked out that I'm going to be able to travel down there to, to fulfill my teaching obligations. And it will give me, because it's a research professor post, I will, I have a reduced teaching load so that I can, can write and speak with the institutional support. Um, it's everything actually that I was, I had prayed for. Yeah, it's amen. every single thing that I had I had told God that I, I wanted, if he wanted me to make this move. So, <laughs> yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, what is, what is hearing from the Lord and, and, and sensing the Lord's leading, uh, look like for you? Cause go even going all the way back to, you know, when you were first talking about, uh, in your, in your graduate assistant first mm-hmm. semester, feeling really sure, man, this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Teaching is what I'm supposed to be doing. So, you know, even, even as far back as that, if you want to go, um, what is, what does that looked like for you to sense? I think this is really something that God's asking me to do. I think this is really something that God's 
pulling me towards or, or drawing me into. Um, could, could you speak a little bit to, to what that, that looks like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's of course not an exact science and it's not as though, you know, he, uh, you know, uh, leaves us little notes on the table to give us the exact clear cut instructions, but there, right. you know, there are, are um, principles in his word um, that are there all along, obviously, but through reading them or maybe hearing them from other people, um, you know, in graduate school, as in that time that we were just talking about, um, the verse that I really clung to that I still cling to today is um, the mind of man prepares his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's really been my whole life since that time is just kind of planning a way, but asking God to direct those steps. So I'm, you know, I'm making plans and I'm, I'm doing the best that I can to, to go, do good work, to be faithful. Um, but I'm letting him kind of move me. And I remember it's probably, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, which goes close to, goes back to that time where a minister friend of me, um, when I had some small success, and I don't even honestly remember what it was. I really don't. It was very small. And he said, um, you know, he quoted another um, verse from Proverbs that says, you know, your gifts will make your way for you. Mm. And I didn't remember ever, I think he used a different translation than I'm used to. And that that verse um, does appear in different ways and different translations. But I had never heard it that way. And I, and I realized, and, and of course, I know God gives us our gifts and talents. And so it's just, it's just sort of this neat way and the way that he creates us uh, with gifts, talents, and passions, and then uses the people around us, the circumstances around us um, to guide us and to give us wisdom. Um, probably the most life-changing book that I read as a young adult Christian was an old, old book uh, by Gary Friesen called um, Decision Making in the Will of God. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that that counters the Christian myth that God has a perfect plan for our lives. Sure. You know, a unique individual plan. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he has a, a plan for, you know, he has a plan he doesn't have one that's apart from scripture. Um, Everything that he has planned for us is revealed in scripture. And then beyond scripture, he wants us to use the wisdom that he's given us, the skills, the passions and um, wisdom of those around us to make decisions. So if he, if we have a choice between job a and job B and neither of them is in conflict with anything in scripture, it's totally up to us which one we Good. choose. Sure. But we can, you know, we are to use wisdom and discernment about our lives. And so that's actually really freeing. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, now I'm, <laughs> so I think that's just where I've always, I, I'm looking in, looking to see where God is at work in the world and in my life. And kind of trying to follow that. And there isn't just one way, but there's definitely, I think, um, you know, to use a metaphor of currents, I think there, you know, there are currents that we can go along with or fight against. Um, and God is, you know, God of the currents. Mm. That's good. That's good. We'll, uh, we'll drop that book in our show notes for folks. If you want to check that out. Um, you know, that, that actually reminds me of, uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Rick James, mm. not, not the, um, R&B. Not the one from Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> the singer. Uh, but but the uh, author was on, is on staff with Crew or was on staff with Crew for quite some time. He gave a talk once that has always stuck with me where he talked about decision-making and the will of God, and, and he used this this picture 
of um, painting. And, uh, and, and he said, there are primary colors when you paint, right? There are certain things where like, if you take uh, a primary color out of the painting, it's hard to make sense of it. And so he talked about uh, the scriptures, prayer, and maybe uh, godly counsel from, from trusted people, maybe partic- particularly in your church as the kind of primary colors. Like if you want to discern the will of God for your life and you're not reading the Bible, uh, it, it, that this picture is not going to make any sense. Mm. But then things like open doors and um, signs, you know, the sort of, uh, um, you know, the, the thing that people often look for. Um, intuitions. Yeah, intuitions, even feelings. Those things might be more of a um, kind of the, you know, your, your periwinkle. You, you pull that color out and like the picture still makes sense, even if you mm-hmm. don't have the open door or the, or the, or the, um, or the uh, you know, coincidence that lines up and Just that a happy little cloud. Right here. <laughs> anyway, that's always stuck with me that that picture of, uh, there are the kind of primary things that the scriptures, there's not this kind of perfect thing that you've got to find using all the right little clues. And if you don't find it, then you're somehow going to miss out on God's plan for your life. Uh, so that's, that's very helpful. Now, can uh, I, can yeah, I jump yeah, in? Yeah, jump in. Karen, did you, did you say at, at the virtue conference, I, I can't remember, uh, did you bring up um, an author who, who, when asked why she became a writer, said said something along the lines of "because I'm good at it"? Yep. That's Flannery O'Connor, yeah, right? Flannery, Flannery O'Connor, yeah. right, right. Um, and I I use that example of her uh, uh, her saying that in answer to a question, "Why do you write?" And she says, "Because I'm good at it." And I use that as an example in my chapter on in on reading well of humility. Right, right. That is humility. Right. That we think humility is the opposite. The hum- humility is knowing who you are, which includes what you're bad at. Uh, that's the usual humility we think of, but also what you're good at. Sure. Right. And um, and following that. Right. So part of knowing uh, and discerning the will of God for you is is learning. Here, here are the areas that I'm yeah, gifted and, yeah. and I'm strong in, and here are the areas where I'm where I'm weaker on, and I and I maybe need to rely on on community, rely on the the local church, rely on my my friendships uh, to to fill in you know some of those gaps. So um, that's good. That stuck with me. That stuck with Michael. That's good. Uh, oh, hey, good so night. so uh, how how has the local church helped you walk out your calling over the years? You've mentioned this some already. So, so some of these conversations that you've had with your pastors along the way, uh, what are some other ways that the local church has helped you? Um, yeah. So, I mean, and you, and you go to a small church in, in your town, just a little church. Not, no, not, not, no, not, not now. We go to the largest church in my town. It <laughs> uh, might be the biggest church uh, in Virginia. Thomas Road Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that, just a little that's, church, uh, little neighborhood yes. church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, from early on, um, the pastor that married us that graduated from Liberty, he actually was someone who saw in me um, leadership abilities and speaking abilities that I didn't know that I had. And he and other pastors mm. just encouraged me to to use those um, and actually, you know, to a level that was kind of uncomfortable. Like I just didn't mm. see myself this way and they did. And I really owe everything to to these godly men and leaders supporting, you know, pulling my leadership qualities out of me. Um, and supporting me. And, um, and then um, just in general, just being a member of, of a church always um, and having that rootedness and that anchor, especially as I have um, 
have more and more, you know, become, become public and travel. Um, I need that rootedness and that connection. Um, uh, and just, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, um, part of the, you know, there's, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I, I, I attended a church for a while, um, where the pastor started to treat me as though, um, I was a celebrity. Mm. Um, and that didn't work, you know, that didn't, that didn't work. And so, uh, that's part of the reason why we go to the church where we go now, because I need, you know, it's a big church, it's a mega church. And that gives me, um, a better sense of myself. Like I can Mm. just kind of like get lost in that church and just go and be a person. Um, and so I use that as an example to show that you know, we, we, we need different things in our lives and sometimes at different times. And sometimes they aren't, aren't even necessarily what we think we would need. I'm not like a mega church person. I never have been. We've always gone to smaller churches. Yet at this time in my life, it's almost like that's, that's just something that I need mm. um, when maybe I didn't in, an, in a previous time. And so um, it's the church body is, is a family. Right. And so, and we all find ourselves in different kinds of families and sometimes we, we, we aren't happy with our family or we would wish we could pick a different family. Um, and in, you know, we can in some, to a greater extent, pick our church families. Um, but on, on another level, we have to accept them as family and, um, let God use us and grow us within that context. That's a good word. That's a good word. You know, uh, that reminds me, our, our namesake here at the Bonhoeffer House, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has a lot to say about that in his book, Life Together. Uh, you know, the, this the idea that um, really the church, the local church, is not a, um, you know, it's not really like a community that God has given us to judge, but it's a, it's a gift. And, uh, and so often when, when we kind of grow up as consumers and... Uh, and, and really buy into the idea that my opinion matters the most. We judge our churches when, man, you know, I mean, some of that's natural, right? Like you just, it's, it's when I, when I, when I look at Brett, our lead pastor, it just comes natural to judge him. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, He's, he's my best friend. So, um, Karen's not laughing. She's like, this is uncomfortable. (laughs) You shouldn't do that. Jesse. (laughs) You should stop. Um, but uh, but really, part of it is a lot of a lot of what we um, yeah, what we can what we can grow in is just receiving the gift of who God's given us in our family, and uh, not easy to do. So, hey, so um, I uh, oh, did we lose you? She's oh, back. you're back. Okay, uh, can oh, I? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so in the last few years, um, Karen, you have. Uh, you have both been hit by a bus and run over by a bus, and 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 I, we we'd like to know uh, what's that been like. Tell us tell us a little bit about this. You you were hit by a bus. Uh, how many years ago was that? It's uh, just coming up on two years actually. Oh, it was only two years. Only two years. And yeah. then, and then lately that that bus has just kind of run over you a few times. Maybe drags you around a little bit. Um, 
And so, yeah. not the same so bus. Many buses. I'm not even yeah. sure which one. Yeah, we, we're we're, we're switching metaphors about. here. Yeah, there's <laughs> the a real one. one. There's I, a little one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, fill us in a little bit on, on how have you walked through the challenges that you fa- faced in the last couple of years, uh, with some degree of faith, hope, and love. Yeah. So, just about um, two years ago, two years ago on uh, May 23rd, um, I was in uh, Nashville to attend a small conference, uh, and I was headed to a meeting. And uh, I was lost. I was walking, and I um, stepped into a crosswalk and didn't see the bus until it was hitting me. Um, and so I um, ended up at Vanderbilt Hospital for eight days um, with. Uh, um, a fractured spine, fractured pelvis, fractured ribs, collapsed lungs, um, head wound, uh, and then came home to spend the next several months uh, recovering this this quarantine actually, or this you know uh, lockdown reminds me in many ways of that time, um, except it's better because I'm I'm stuck at home, but I can, which I love, uh, but also I can walk. <laughs> um, so it's much yeah. nicer. Um, and, um, you know, that was a really weird time. I, obviously it's a, it's a, um, very traumatic physical accident to have. Um, and you know, just <laughs> something you don't see coming in any, any respect. Um, but it was also, you know, it was a weird kind of spiritual time too, as any kind of, um, trauma is a spiritual obstacle, but it happened in the midst of, of all of these things that were happening in, in the Southern Baptist convention. And, um, and that I was kind of in the middle of, um, Mm. being a a spokesperson and advocate for, uh, victims of, of, of abuse within the church and especially in, within the convention. And, um, so it was a weird convergence um, that I don't claim to have any sense of understanding in terms of what God was doing and allowing mm. to happen. Um, I mean, we never really do know that whole picture, mm. um, but we're called to just be faithful. Uh, and so in a way, this really traumatic, awful thing that happened to me uh, was just kind of a, a, a an allegory, you know, a big allegory of what we're supposed to do in our lives every day is we don't always understand. We can't always see um, how God, what, why God is allowing things to happen, but we're still called to be faithful and to, um, to trust him. And yeah. so I guess that's just what I, what I had to do. And it was such a public and traumatic and dramatic event that it also, you know, other people were kind of watching with me. And so it was an opportunity for me to, uh, to be faithful and to demonstrate that faithfulness and, and hopefully something God used to bless others. Yeah. How hard was it for you? Uh, so I heard you mention this and, and I know I struggle with this, uh, as a pastor, a lot of the folks that I counsel struggle with, uh, when bad things happen, we, man, we really, really want to know, um, wh- why is this happening? Uh, we want to understand it. We want to know, um, you know, what, what is it exactly that God's doing in this moment or in this suffering? And what lesson am I supposed to learn so that this never happens again? <laughs> uh, or yeah, how, how, how can I, how, several times. I didn't, I learned that. <laughs> okay. There, that is a good lesson to learn here. Um, but really what I'm hearing you say, which I think is really helpful is, um, rather than figuring out the, the why or the, or the, what is God up to, 
Um, you, you know, you're focusing on uh, how can I be faithful through this? How can I be faithful in the midst of it? Um, how, how, what helped you get there? Like, what, did, did you struggle with God? Why is this happening? Why am I, is this happening to me now? Or, or, or was it easy for you just to say, well, I don't know how, why, but I got to walk through this faithfully. You know, um, I have been asked that question before, but, um, I've never thought of the answer that I'm going to give until now. So, um, uh, it's probably going to disappoint some people. Um, <laughs> you know what? That, that's actually one of the <laughs> things we do very, here. It's not very spiritual, but uh, on the other hand, it's all spiritual. So no, I, I actually never did struggle with that question. And I, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't struggle with it. I was thankful that it wasn't a struggle for me, but I think I just realized because of the way this conversation has been going that, that I think part of the, a big reason why I don't struggle with that question and needing to know is because of my life of reading good stories Mm. where we, the process of a story is that you don't know, but you know, you will know by the end that has my, my whole life has been a practice in being immersed in a story and you don't know how it ends until the end. And my thinking, my emotions, my spiritual life is trained and habituated along those lines that I, I already know that I will know someday. Um, but I'm still in the middle of that story and I don't need to know now. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person like, like I, I think it's actually, I think people who turn to the end of a book and look at how it ends mm. are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how, like, you should no. be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> um, or and, and when I'm watching a film, when there's a movie I want to watch, whether it's Tiger King or or like A Hidden Life was the most recent one. Um, I, you know, I knew I wanted to see it, and I knew I was going to go see it, so I avoid all every reviews. Headline, I avoid everything. Don't, yeah. I don't want to. I want to walk in. I want to have this pure experience, untainted by knowledge of how it ends or anything. You know, as long as I, because I can trust that I know it's Terrence Malick, it's going to be good. That's all I need to know. (laughs) Um, And so I think a a lifetime of thinking that way and luxuriating kind of in that experience has just made me okay. It's it's okay to know that I don't know now how all that, why God allowed that to happen. But the cool thing is that I know that in eternity I will. So So I would be curious to hear you, uh, riff on that a little more with, with maybe, um, with maybe a, a, a Christian audience in mind. So, you know, I think one of the things in, in Christian circles is, is we, we embody a story, the gospel story in, in which we do in a sense, you know, not, not in its entirety, but we do in a sense, know the end. Um, we, we are, we're, we're hoping and longing for the, the revelation 21 end where, where God's dwelling is with man and where there's, uh, you know, shalom flourishing peace. And, and so I'm, I would be curious to hear if, if you have any thoughts about, um, how does the fact that the, the, the lens through which we see and, and understand the world and, and the, and the narrative that we try to embody in the gospel, uh, having an end, that we hope for and long for, how does that, you know, maybe shape, uh, us wanting there to be a, a, a conclusion that we can grasp and see. And when we hit, you know, uh, specific details of our own lives, like 
I'm, I'm curious, do you have thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I want to liken it to reading a good book. Uh And so uh, if I pick up, you know, well, I've read them all, but you know, when I, if I first pick up a novel by Jane Austen, Uh I know that she writes comedies. So I know it will end in marriage, Mm. Um, but I don't know how it's going to happen. So I kind of have a general sense of how it's going to end or, or or a tragedy. Like I I, I do love tragedies. So if I pick (laughs) up a book by Thomas Hardy, I know it's going to be like exceedingly tragic and pessimistic. I already know that. I just don't know how right. it's going to happen. And so, you know, we know we know that the gospel is a comedy, comedy in the classical sense right, with a happy right. ending and with a marriage. Um, and we don't know all the details in between. And um, but we also do know that in the in the in between, all things work together for good um, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And right. so we can trust that. Um, and uh, so we don't know the details. We do know the end and the end is what gives us hope. Um, right. And it doesn't lessen the pain or the suffering in the in-between, um, but it still gives us a framework and a, a bigger picture um, where we can s- situate that pain and suffering and confusion and those questions. Sure. Um, so don't, don't hurry the conclusion. Yeah, exactly. But, but we are allowed to read revelation 21, even if we haven't read any more of the, <laughs> sure. like we, we can skip there, right? I, we're not monsters. Oh, if yeah, we do yeah, that, are yeah. we? Yeah. Uh, you know, no, I, 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 it's already, it's already been, the plot's been spoiled for us. That's so right. In a good we, way. Maybe we, we need to luxuriate a little bit more in the in-between sure. for that reason. Yeah, yeah, and and um, man, I'm really interested in that in that because it you're really what you're saying is this is lived theology, right? You're right. you're saying um, you're making a case right now for uh, in your own life for why um, why reading well can cultivate virtue in us, even if even if we're not uh, even through participating in stories that we're not actually a character in, right? Sure. Um, and so I really appreciate that and and think through. Uh, you know how how formative it is when we when we know that the author uh, when we well we, when we know we can place our hope in the author. Uh, you know, right now I'm reading through the Lord of the Rings with my kids. There are ten, nine. I can get this. Ten, nine, seven. Ten, nine, and seven. My two year old's not really paying attention, but um, they're we're right in the middle of it, and they, they don't know that it's going to end well, mm. and they're really scared. Mm. Like there's a kind of fear that they have that I I have more of like a, like a, just wait, just wait. It's going to, it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> uh, it's going to be good. So th- that's really good. Now, you know, you know, Karen tweeted that hobbits are overrated. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh no. Okay. We'll, we'll add that to our lightning round here in a second. Yeah. Well, I'm not, they're not bad. <laughs> why are just, you the way you that know. you are? Why don't you Related. like middle earth? Um, there's like there's other literature besides Tolkien. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. Is there are other books? I know you know that. But yeah. we'll well, we have a you know our first guest here on the on the Hammer and Quill was Charles Wilson. He's a church planter in Roanoke, and he um, he listened to a few sermons from our church in Radford Valley Bible Church, uh, and then he came to preach. We had him come preach, and he and he said. Uh, um, hey, I'm sorry, guys. I don't have any Lord of the Rings references. You know, I know I'm here at the Lord of the Rings church. We were like, what are you talking about? And apparently he picked a few sermons where 
where that was just what we were using. And so maybe we don't know better. Maybe we, maybe we do <laughs> think hobbits are all there is yep. in good literature. Uh, no, we, we know better. Uh, there's a lot good out there. Now, we're going to move into a lightning round here in one second. But first, I want to ask you this. Um, what's it like having fans? Now, I'm genuinely curious because I don't have any. Yeah. And you don't have any, Michael. Yeah, that's you have, true. You have none. We, we don't have fans, but we had this interesting experience where we, I don't know if you remember this, Karen, but we came and we filmed you uh, in preparation for our Virtue Conference last fall. And we, uh, we got up on the roof of some building, sat next to a giant air conditioning unit and, uh, <laughs> and recorded you. And, and afterwards, when we were, when we were uh, saying goodbye, you had, like a, you had like a couple people that were waiting to like meet you. Like whispering about like, that's Karen. That's Karen. That's I think Karen. that's Karen. And, uh, and we walked away <laughs> thinking like, wow, Karen has, has fans. And then we kind of looked at I realized that. And we looked at each other and we were like, well, wait a minute. We, are we? I guess we're fans. We're, the fans. we're here rec- <laughs> shooting a video. Um, but what's that like? What's that like having people that like you don't sign anybody's arm or anything, do you? <laughs> Just I don't think I've done that yet. <laughs> um, yeah, um, what's it no, like? Being- uh, you know, I don't know. It's weird and awkward, I guess. Um, I guess there's a sense, you know, being a professor for so many years, you have students and there's there's that that sense that the students are not the same as fans, um, especially the ones who aren't happy with their grades. But um, <laughs> um, I think you learn to, um, you know, to use that sort of authority that you have. Um, well, um, the fan thing is a little bit, I don't know. It's not, it's not that great. <laughs> I would, I would <laughs> guess it's not that great. What? I, I would guess it's not that great. I don't like, I don't like having even just a few. I used to be an extremely private person. And and now you're famous. Well, I'm not really famous. Well, you're semi-famous. You you know, compared to us, you're famous. But of course, that's, there's a lot of famous people compared to us. (laughs) (laughs) It's a low bar. No, it's just, it's, 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 I, I, I am thankful. Like sometimes I think about the people who've become like overnight celebrities for whatever reason. And I just cannot imagine that. Mm. Um, this is just, you know, I've just had a slowly growing, organically growing platform for, you know, uh, eight years now, maybe if I count start with the publication of my first book, um, it's been very slow and natural and organic. And I'm thankful for that because I, I, it, there have been adjustments that I've had to make along the way, like really big adjustments. Um, just even in the way that I use Twitter, for example, like I, 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 you can get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like I can't like a little quip that I would say that my students would get and kind of an inside joke. Like it took me a long time to realize that I can't just do that because I have a wider audience. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not so much the fans as it is the trolls that are. <laughs> That's the right. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, this is interesting. I wonder, uh, and, and this will be something we could just follow up on. I wonder how much of a difference it makes, uh, the fact that you you weren't, number one, seeking out fans or or or, uh, or fame, right? Like there are people now who their their career choice is influencer, Right. And, uh, and, and then you just kind of seek this out, you build it up. And, and then I wonder too, how much of a difference it makes that it was a slower build for you, um, rather than just an overnight, like I, I, I don't know how I would handle, uh, but I guess if it was building up, maybe I'd learn how to handle it on the way. 
Well, hey, we've got we do this thing where we do a lightning round. We ask we're going to ask you just kind of a battery of questions here, and so uh, do your best to answer these as quick as you can. The first is, what's the best pod, <laughs> best best podcasts on writing? Um, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel I that's Excellent. okay. That's totally fine. That's but totally I, fine. I we hope that this is your first my, one. Probably my favorite book on writing is called On Writing Well, which is um, kind of my book is sort of named after that, On Reading Well, um, by William Zinser. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, that's good. That's good. I, I have read that book. As a matter of fact, I think I loaned it's it It's up out. there somewhere. Is it? I think you borrowed it. Wow, bonus points. Um, thank you. Do you? I really appreciate the bonus <laughs> points. <laughs> Keep track of that. Do you, um, do you recommend writing prompts ever? Um, um, I've never used them. <laughs> okay. So sure. If, if it's helpful, <laughs> I, I have too much I want to write about. Sure. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. okay. So if it helps do it, if, if it, it doesn't, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, you, yeah, yeah. if you could have lunch with three authors from all of history, obviously not Tolkien, you hate him. Uh, <laughs> who would they be? Who would they be and why? <laughs> Oh my goodness. It depends on which day you ask me. So today, because I've probably been thinking about them more, I would say, um, John Donne, 17th mm, century mm -hmm. poet, yep. really witty, sharp guy, Jonathan Swift, who's just one of my favorite writers. He's so funny. Um, and Flannery O'Connor. Mm. That would be a lunch. What a lunch. What uh, you could have to do it at, in, at, in, in Midgeville, Georgia, right? With all the peacocks around and, uh, that'd be, yeah, fun. I think so. Yeah. 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 Good. Okay. Uh, what's the book you've given most as a gift? It can be your own. Well, that's fair. Oh, well, then it's definitely my own. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to really say, like you this. Know, I, I get asked, I want to give books that that reflect the person. Okay. Um, so Ooh. I would say the genre of books that I get, I've given the most besides my own are baby lit books for baby showers. Mm. Like the, the baby versions of classic okay. books. Of wow. I, I did didn't know that. I have, I've had babies. Well, I mean, I haven't personally, but I didn't know that that was a thing. You've never received a, a baby mm -hmm. lit. I've never received, you know, as a matter of fact, I should start getting Brett baby lit books <laughs> just for his own edification. <laughs> okay. Hey, what's something under $100 that every writer should own? A good pair of running shoes. Ooh, that's great. Why? Well, I mean, for me, I, I have to, I, I do run, I run more for my brain than for anything mm. else, just to kind of clear the mind and think about things. So running, running, I could, I don't know if I could keep sane as a writer if I didn't run. Mm. Good, good. Okay. I got another one. Um, this can, okay. I was in a spelling bee yesterday. Uh, we do a round table at Valley Bible Church. We film, we, we answer questions our, our folks submit and uh, they, they, tortured us with a with a spelling bee and i need help uh how do you spell dilemma d-i-l-e-m-m-a okay all right that's right i got it wrong and i was really hoping that you, you that, that wasn't on your list of questions you gave me that was i know a real I, test, I, I, I slipped I that it? in no it was not on the list <laughs> i thought it was quiz and i got a hundred you did great bonus points i thought it was m-n-a dilemma M-M-A, yeah. Did and, I say that? No, no, no. You said it right. Why L two M's? I thought it was an M and then an N, but this isn't about me, so let's move on. Okay. Uh, what's it What's it like having your name turn into a meme, Karen? <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's like 
karma, you know, because I think of all the other names that used to be old fashioned and jokey. And now my name is, and mm. I'm like, okay, Ashley, you're next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you heard it here first. Uh, Ashley will be the next one. Yep. Uh, are there recording devices in the trees at Liberty? Are they listening? You know what? They have this piped in music. I know that. Playing from the trees. <laughs> oh, it's like and Disneyland. I bet they're two way. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. So be careful. Uh, what's the worst advice you regularly hear given to writers? You ought to publish this. <laughs> mm. ah. Oh, snap. <laughs> that's, that's just. <laughs> I know I th- I know that's really mean, but I have a, that's a whole other show about you know just because you write something doesn't mean it mm. it's ready to be published. That's, good, yeah. good, good. Okay, what about what about bad advice you hear for teachers? Oh, um, I I don't know if I hear bad advice for teachers. That's fine. Um, um. um Bad advice for teachers. You can skip. Um, the, the bad advice you yeah. hear for you you hear for writers uh, was more than enough bad it advice. Great. It was great. Uh, how do you? Nobody get, gives. I don't think anyone gives teachers advice. Yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, except for their the students. Uh, okay, how do you get unstuck when you're writing? What are some go tips? Running. Go running. Go running. Okay, okay, okay. And then I've got one last question, and this is not lightning round. You can take your time here. But what are you working on now? What are you excited about? that you're working on now, feel free to share love, love for our listeners to hear maybe some of the the projects that you're currently promoting, uh, anything that you're working on that you're excited about. What are you excited about now? Well, just today, the day we're recording, um, I have a new, a new little project that released and it's this, um, a a reprinting of CS Lewis's, um, poetry that he wrote before he was a Christian and I wrote an introduction to it. So it's, really pretty cool. And I'm getting ready to write, um, the next two, um, introductions to, in my classic, uh, literature series with B and H. So I'll be writing, um, introductions to, uh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte and Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And those books will come out next week to join my, um, editions on sense and sensibility and heart of darkness that just came out in March. Mm. Wow. Wow. You are, you're busy. I am busy. This I is, know. This is I don't great. Know how I'm, I do it. In addition, in addition to picking up the baby lit books for um, for yep. my friend Brett, I'm going to have to pick up uh, your your copies. Uh, all five of I'm picking yeah. all five of those up. Yeah, for sure. I'm what's the it. What's the name of the Lewis poetry? It's called Spirits in Bondage, mm. and it's uh, published by Lexum, and it's a gorgeous, beautiful, beautifully done volume. I think- Hardcover with beautiful font and pages it's it's a it's a a a beautiful artifact you Mm. instagrammed it didn't you i've yes i've I've seen it and it is beautiful i i can attest you've seen it it is beautiful and And we will we will link to it in the show notes we will pick it up and we want to thank you karen for joining us here on the hammer and quill from a safe and responsible quarantine distance so so further than six feet away a little bit, uh, yeah. A little bit further. We thank you for joining us. This has been fun. We hope to have you on again in the future. And you know what? Uh, maybe we'll pick up some of those books and highlight them in the weeks to come. Uh, and so, yeah, we yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining us. This has been tremendous for us. And thank you all for tuning in to the Hammer and Quill episode four. 
an interview with Karen Swallow Pryor. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, not YouTube, like I said last not week. YouTube. We're not there. You can't review us there. On iTunes, throw some five-star reviews our way. Until next time, peace. Peace.